Welcome to the People, Planet, Profit podcast. I'm Hayley Jarrick, CEO of the Supply Chain Sustainability School, and today I'm joined by Sandy Ng. Sandy is a high-achieving young leader for social justice from our very own backyard of Sydney, Australia. She recently graduated from the University of Sydney with a Bachelor of Arts and Advanced Studies of International and Global Relations, and also served as president of the Sydney University United Nations Society from 2020 to 2021. This year, Sandy has started a professional career by joining KPMG Banara, a world-leading business and human rights consultancy, as one of their first graduate consultants. She works with a diverse and multi-stakeholder clients to help them understand, assess and manage human rights, risks and social impacts by prioritising a people-centric approach. Alongside Alongside over six years in the not-for-profit sector and academic consultancy, Sandy is known as a vivacious, forward-thinking humanitarian, helping to achieve peace and equality on a healthy planet. Welcome, Sandy. Thank you so much, Hayley. It's my absolute pleasure to be here today. What do we have planned to discuss for our lucky listeners today, Hayley? Well, the Property Council of Australia has collaborated with KPMG Australia to develop two practical guides for business to better understand and address modern slavery in the property and construction industry in Australia. First guide, listening and responding to modern slavery in property and construction is a practical guide for effective human rights grievance mechanisms. This guide unpacks the United Nations guiding principles on business and human rights, the eight criteria that should be applied when designing, implementing and reviewing effective human rights grievance mechanisms for your workplace. It also gives examples of grievance mechanisms in practice. So, Sandy, can you summarise the criteria for us? Thank you, Haley. Yes, of course. I think before I do, when I first heard of the concept of grievance mechanisms, I kind of stood back and was like, what does this even mean? Um, but for you lucky listeners, human rights grievance mechanisms are the systems used to raise, assess, investigate and respond to human rights issues that can happen in a workplace. So this might look like modern slavery, bullying, harassment and even more in other forms. And as you said, Haley, in order for these mechanisms to be effective, they should champion as much of the eight effectiveness criteria. Let's explore them today. So the first one is that they need to be legitimate. So what this means is that users need to be able to trust the mechanism and that the provider must be accountable for how the grievances are handled. So making sure there is a formal accountability structure for your grievance mechanisms or offer the option to submit these grievances anonymously. Second, they need to be accessible. So what this means is that users need to know that the human rights grievance mechanism exists and that they are able to access it easily or receive adequate assistance if they face any barriers to access. So what this means, Haley, is that it's really good if you have a grievance mechanism in place. It's not really good if people don't know that it exists. And when we talked to industry stakeholders and experts, we found that this was a common problem. So make sure your mechanism is accessible. Number three, they need to be predictable. Um, What this means is that providers must be clear about each step of the mechanism. So you should include information about timelines, decision-making processes, and even potential outcomes for the people that use them. So this is really good because it helps in that trust building process so that the mechanism is clear and that users are able to trust it and use it because they know what's going to happen um, or potentially happen if they were to put that trust in you to help them solve a concern or an issue that they may have in a workplace. Well, halfway there, Haley. number four is equitable. So what this means is that users need to be treated equally and be able to access the information, advice and expertise necessary to engage in that process that is fair, informed and respectful. So 
I know we all like when we when we're born, we don't start at the same starting line when we start the race. Um, so it's really important that we provide those support services. So say, for example, if your workforce is uh, has migrant people and that English is not their first language, you might need to offer a translator service so that they can access your grievance mechanism equitably. Number five, your human's grievance mechanisms need to be transparent. So all your relevant stakeholders uh, who are involved in this process are informed about their processes and they have that sufficient information into how effective the outcome of the mechanisms are. So it's really important for your business to be able to share that information, how effectively your grievance mechanism is working because that will help to build the trust in it. So as again, we engaged with a lot of industry stakeholders um, and experts. And another thing is that people and workers in your business, um, there is a lack of trust in grievance mechanisms. Um, say, for example, if you're a migrant and you're really scared of that process of retaliation because what if you speak up and something bad happens to you in return? So it's really important that your grievance mechanism is transparent. So how it's working um, and yeah. <laughs> We've got number six, it's rights compatible. So the outcomes and remedies of this grievance mechanisms must be in line with international human rights standards. So I think we might have all heard of the United Nations guiding principles on business and human rights. We've also got a range of human rights treaties and laws. So what this means is that your grievance mechanisms champions that right to access remedy, as well as all your wonderful human rights just for being a wonderful human being. So Let's make sure your human's grievance mechanisms are rights compatible. Number seven, we're nearly there. Your grievance mechanisms need to be a source of continuous learning. So what this means is that whenever your grievance mechanism is engaged, um, it's really important that your business learns from these lessons so that not only that it improves the grievance mechanisms, but that it is also able to help prevent future harm. And last but not least, got to make it a conversation so that your grievance mechanism is based on dialogue and engagement. So what this means is that relevant stakeholders and especially the rights holders who are using the mechanism, they need to be included in the design, the implementation and the review of such mechanisms. And that this focus needs to be on a dialogue model of engagement so that you are able to solve grievance mechanisms and complex human rights problems together. There's our eight effectiveness criteria, Haley. That was a lot. Um, and I think I really want to emphasize too is that when it comes to human rights grievance mechanisms, there isn't a one size fits all approach. So what this means, depending on your business structure, the size of your workforce, the complexity of your supply chains, even the views of your workers, um, your human rights grievance mechanism may not, may not need to be all of these eight effectiveness criteria, but most importantly, it needs to be fit for your business's specific context and needs. Wow, thank you so much for breaking all that down. I know that you, you know, it sounds like listening to it, you go like, wow, that was a lot to get through. But I mean, for anyone who's ever tried to read through a UN white paper or tried to understand international law or trying to understand human rights in general, you summarising that so succinctly for everybody on the call, I think would make absolute sense to everybody. Um, and I think that when you go through the eight, 
they all make sense, right? They all sound so logical, but the fact that we had to put them together in a guide to go, yeah, you're right, that's actually what they all need. Um, and I think that they're all uh, very well laid out. And so I can understand then, so after that, that first guide was developed, um, then putting it out there, that most people who would have gone through um, any sort of human rights journey, um, specifically around modern slavery, would then sort of sit back and say, Right, okay, so I've understood what this big beast is, I've um, gone out and done some research, I've figured out some things, I've looked around and OMG, I've just <laughs> found something. Um, and then the next step thing that comes out of my mouth is what do I do, right? So it's kind of that whole, okay, I found something, I actually don't know how to fix the harm, which of course in this world we call remediation. Um, and so the second guide was then developed around remediating modern slavery, specifically for the property and construction industry, um, and trying to develop a practical guide for effective human rights mediation. Um, and so you've de taken a real deep dive into that remediation aspects and, and remediating those grievances. So can you break down for us the steps within that grievance process um, and then explain what good and bad practice looks like? It would be an absolute pleasure, Hayley. Um, what's really important is that grievance mechanisms, sorry, grievances and remedy, they come hand in hand. So I'll kind of walk you through um, the grievance and remediation process because what happens in the beginning is that harm is occurred. And once that harm does take place, we need to make sure we fix it. We need to make sure we make things right. Um, so what we've done is break this down into eight steps. So we've got eight effectiveness criteria and eight steps for this grievance and remediation process. So number one, first, obviously, that harm takes place. Um, again, they can take form in many different forms. Um, we've explored modern slavery, but it's really important is that whenever someone does not feel 100%, that might even equal harm. So we've got to make sure we keep an eye out on our workers and everyone else in the workplace. So number two, once that harm has occurred, uh, we need to raise that concern. And usually I say concern, um, but grievance mechanisms, they allow three different types of issues. So they can be positive, they can be neutral, and they can be negative. And what human rights grievance mechanisms do is that they kind of take the negative concerns and they try to fix it. So let's keep that in mind. Um, good practice for your second step where you raise the concern is that um, users are able to raise it informally or formally. And good practice, Haley, is usually we encourage to raise the grievance as soon as possible. So through those informal processes. So that might look like a chat with your manager. Um, and if that doesn't work out, then we kind of escalate it to the more formal processes. So once that issue has been raised, uh, number three is reporting it to a more formal human rights grievance mechanism. So number two, we kind of put an emphasis on solving it as quickly as possible and through informal mechanisms. So not only is this uh, really good for resources, but it also kind of picks the problem at its core so that we can't, can prevent it as soon as possible and make sure it doesn't happen again to any other person. So one, two, three. Number four is once a grievance has been raised and reported, it needs to be acknowledged. So now we're bringing in our effectiveness criteria. So we've got to make sure it's legitimate, it's transparent, it's equitable. Um, users aren't going to raise their grievance to a human rights grievance mechanism if they don't trust it. So it's really important that 
once your business's mechanism does receive a grievance, it is acknowledged. And that could be as simple as, hey, thank you for raising your grievance. We're now going to assess it, we're going to investigate it, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Um, it's also really good is because you're creating a conversation, so it's not really one-sided. Um, I know during our research, we've talked to stakeholders and effective rights holders who submitted a grievance or an issue, and they never heard back from the mechanism ever again. So let's make sure that doesn't happen. So once that grievance is acknowledged, step five is assessing the grievance. So assessing means making sure we've got all the information possible so that it is a fair judgment or like a fair investigation and a fair outcome is provided. So a really important point in this step is that you put the rights holder in the centre. Um, what I mean by that is rights holders are the people who are affected by negative business activities and if they're the ones impacted that can have really profound impacts on them so it's really important to talk to them make sure they're included in the process and ask them what they ultimately want from this remediation process um, it might look different for different affected rights holders. So it's really important that we put them in the center, we ask what they want and it's different again. So it's really important. There's no one size fits all approach. So make sure you ask that rights holder and put them in the center of the process. Um, number six is we've got the investigation of the grievance. So I kind of just touched on that number five, number six. Um, and then number seven is when you finally resolve that grievance. When we talk about resolving is that we've kind of decided on an outcome and it's really important for this outcome to be discussed with the rights holder, um, with the business because those needs might be conflicting. Good practice over here is you might want to include a third party independent person so that they are able to consider both sides of the story um, and ultimately come to an outcome that is fair and good for everyone and makes everyone happy. And number eight is what our guide, our second guide does a deep dive into. And this is when the grievance is remediated. When we talk about remediation too, that's another scary big word, Haley. Um, but that's what our second guide kind of simplifies. And this is when we've decided so number seven decides what happens as a result of the grievance. And number eight kind of simplifies what we're going to do in order to make it right. Um, there are so many different types of grievances and remedies possible. So it's really important, again, to consider putting that rights holder in the sense of this whole process, because again, at the end of the day, they're the ones who have been impacted the most. Um, and it's really important that we learn from our lessons to make sure it doesn't happen again. So this might be unintentional, um, but it's really great to hear that also businesses are starting to care and they're putting more their foot in the door about grievance and remediation. So yeah. Thank you. I know that it, you're right. It's great. It's kind of good that there's some really good um, guidance out there and that people are doing this well and that there are um, really practical things you can do um, that make it like what good looks like. So I think that's kind of the hard thing when some people think of a, a theoretical idea or something. You get great. But then what does that look like in practice? Like, what can I do today? What can I change my procedure or rewrite my policy or um, how, what can I physically do in order to do things differently? And you've given some really great examples of what, what good really looks like in that sense. So if I try and summarise where we're up to, so we've got um, and, and noting too that the second guide also summarises the UN's nine criteria that should be applied when businesses design, operationalise and reform effective remediation um so now i'm sure 
everyone out there listening is going, <laughs> hold up, right? There's like eight step criteria for grievance mechanisms. There's eight steps for the eighth criteria on remediation. There's nine criteria for effective implementation of the eighth criteria. Yeah. Um, and it sounds really complicated and confusing and a lot of really long lists to remember. Um, so what's an easy way for people to remember what effective remediation might look like? Well, Hayley, um, what we've done is simplify it into what we call the remedy framework. So now all you need to remember for effective remediation is remedy. That's six letters in remedy and I can quickly run through that with you today. Um, and what I've kind of touched on in my previous answer is that the remedy framework also places that effective rights holder in the centre. Um, so let's kind of explore that together. So remedy is an acronym for effective remediation and the first R stands for rights based. So what this means is that these also go hand in hand with the aid effectiveness criteria that we've previously talked about too. Um, so rights base is that it's consistent with internationally recognised human rights. So remember remediation processes and remedies should be accessible for impacted rights holders because it's our human right to access justice. E stands for empathetic. So be a good human being because Rights holders have diverse experiences and they also have different needs, um, especially vulnerable rights holders. So it's really important that you step into their shoes and make sure you treat them with utmost dignity and respect because we all should be treated equally. Um, we've kind of touched on this already too, is multiple. Um, there are many different ways of thinking and working and many different outcomes at the end of a grievance and remediation process. So what effective modern slavery kind of remediation does is that it offers that variety of modern slavery remedies um, to find the most suitable remediation outcome on a case by case basis. Our second E of remedy is empowering. So what effective remediation does is that it doesn't discriminate against or victimise impacted rights holders. In fact, it kind of encourages them to speak up because what this does is that it will help build that trust and a culture of workplace culture that people do feel safe to talk about their problems, to solve them together and to make sure bad does not happen again. D stands for dialogue space. So we've kind of already touched on this too, is that effective remediation ensures that relevant stakeholders are meaningfully engaged. It also balances the needs of right holders with the interests of the business because sometimes they do conflict, but when they do align, really beautiful things can happen and that we can solve that harm and make sure it doesn't happen again. And last but not least, why we kind of struggled with this one, but ultimately effective remediation and any human rights uh, business approach is that it starts with you, exactly you. Um, so whether you're a business owner, you're a supplier, you're a customer shopping out of business, um, it's also continuously improved by you. So it's really important that you feel safe to speak up and that you do feel safe to voice your concerns because if you don't speak up, kind of people will follow that flock um, and yeah it's really important. <laughs> I totally agree and I think that that's probably the one thing that most people forget when they do all of this is that seeing something larger than them right it's something that other people should do that big corporations could focus on that um, you know people with more time effort money whatever it is all the excuses and reasons why you think that you shouldn't be doing anything about this it really brings back to something that you can do and I think that's always my key takeaway whenever I speak to someone and they go what can I do today it's like do something you know every little bit helps just ask a question google where that came from google you know uh you know 
the, the company statistics, research their modern slavery report, go online and find out where the cotton comes from, where the materials come from, where the people who made it work, how they've checked where that comes from. You have all of this information on the World Wide Web of things um, that you can search up and find out where a lot of things come from. And all of that sometimes all you just need to do is ask the question. If it's not publicly available, ask them at the counter. Do you know where this is made? Do you know how this was made? Um, you know, are there any, has this, has it been certified by someone? Has this been, you know, anything that you want to ask? And every time you ask that question, you're then putting the information back on that organiser to become more responsible um, and try and put that information out there and realise there is a massive demand for this as it comes through. So I think remedy is an easy one to remember, rights, empathy, multiple empowerment, dialogue and you. Did I get that right? Well, it's See, I, I can do an acronym better than I can remember <laughs> numbers. <laughs> That's me so too. Thank you for putting all that together. And Sandy, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me today. It's the happy holiday seasons and I'm definitely taking away. I'm going to be curious. I'm going to keep asking questions and I hope you do too. So do I. I hope everybody does. So thank you everybody out there for listening to the People Planet Profit podcast. Until our next episode, bye. Bye.